if you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. I was doing my breakfast dishes this morning, turned the garbage disposal on, and then heard that terrible noise when you know something is in the disposal, but like you can totally tell the damage has already been done. Sure enough, it was an easy peasy tiny spoon, totally shredded, which if I've learned anything about these baby lead weaning spoons from Easy Peasy is that the garbage disposal and the dog both love them. And I was bummed because it's one of my favorite colors that they make, the light gray line, which is called pewter. But my garbage disposal disaster, I guess it came at just the right time because Easy Peasy is having their annual Mother's Day sale from this Friday to Sunday, so May 10th to 12th. You can get 20% off all of the Easy Peasy feeding gear with the affiliate discount code BLWMOM on orders of $50 or more. So this is a great time to stock up at 20% off because my regular Easy Peasy code is usually only for 10% off. So this bump up to 20% off is nice, but it's just for three days. So head to easypeasyfun.com to grab tiny spoons, their tiny cups, and the best suction mats and bowls for baby lead weaning. They have a really cool new bundle maker on their website if you want to group or piece a few items together or If you just don't want to think about it, then just grab one of the Easy Peasy First Foods sets. It has everything you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods with baby led weaning. That code is BLWMOM for 20% off Easy Peasy orders of $50 or more now through Sunday, May 12th at easypeasyfun.com. And happy Mother's Day to you. And we also don't know what other countries this went to. So these pouches were made in Ecuador. We don't know where the cinnamon was from. So far, FDA's extra testing of imported cinnamon has not found high levels of lead. So that's the good news. In this case, all of the cases are under the ages of one to four. So these are toddlers. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby lead weaning. Here on the Baby Lead Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby lead weaning. Today's episode is a little different. There is not a lot of breaking news in the infant feeding world, but if you haven't following the news, perhaps you've heard about the applesauce pouch lead contamination story. So I'm recording this episode on November 29th, 2023, at which point in the United States, now 52 children have been reported to have high levels of lead in their blood. And this is potentially linked to consuming cinnamon applesauce pouches. They were made in Ecuador. They were sold across the United States. And so when it comes to lead, generally scientific consensus maintains that there's really no safe amount of lead, especially for babies and for young children. This is a neurotoxin, and we know that lead exposure has been linked to various behavior and developmental problems, as well as lowered IQ, lethargy. It's generally associated with environmental contaminants, right? Exposure to lead-based paint or children putting lead-based toys in their mouth. But in this case, the Centers for Disease Control in the United States, they regularly fund states and cities to conduct lead blood screening for young children. And in North Carolina, the Department of Health and Human Services first noticed that there were four kids who had high lead levels. And so then through further investigation, 
along with state officials. They ultimately linked it to these three brands of pouches. And so I've been following this story most closely by reading the email newsletter of Helena Bottomiller-Evich. Now, Helena has been on our podcast before. She is very well known in the world of food safety. She is a journalist and she reported extensively, actually breaking very large parts of the formula recall story from last year. So she came on talking about the formula shortage, the formula recall, but she's kind of my go-to guru when it comes to things related to food safety. And so her newsletter, Food Fix, is a wonderful resource. It's followed by a lot of politicians and food industry insiders, but also a lot of parents. And Helena is a mother of a toddler, and she speaks very candidly in this interview using her knowledge about the current outbreak situation or the current recall situation, but also how we can balance what we're learning from this breaking story with the decisions that we're making as far as foods that we're offering to our babies and our toddlers. And what I think is so unique about the angle of this story or the first place I heard about the link between the lead and the pouches was with regards to the cinnamon. And so the cinnamon in the pouches is very highly suspect. It's thought to be possibly potentially adulterated. And so we're going to explore that a little bit more. So a lot of times parents ask about, you know, foods like apples and rice and sweet potatoes and arsenic toxicity. We've talked about that a lot here on the podcast. I'm going to link some of our other episodes about heavy metals if this is an area of interest to you. And I'll also link the other previous episodes that Helena has done with us inside of the description where you're listening to this podcast. But today I wanted to have her on to talk about the cinnamon and how can cinnamon cause lead poisoning? And why do they think that's the case right now? And what should we do as parents if we do have these products in our household? So with no further ado, here is Helena Bottomiller-Evich from the Food Fix newsletter talking about how cinnamon potentially caused lead poisoning in the current applesauce pouch contamination situation. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to be talking about the current applesauce pouch recall situation. As I mentioned earlier before we started, I don't usually have like breaking news types of interviews on this podcast because to be fair, not a whole lot changes in how you help babies safely make the transition to solid food. So could you just give us like a real high level overview of what's going on with regards to the applesauce pouch recall lead contamination story? Yeah. So about a month ago, FDA issued basically a public health warning saying that four kids in North Carolina had elevated lead levels in their blood. The North Carolina officials had figured out that those were tied to cinnamon applesauce pouches or cinnamon puree pouches, they're sometimes called. There's three brands, Wanabana, Weiss, and Schnucks. Those have all since been recalled. And in the last month, that situation has gone from four kids in North Carolina to 52 kids in 25 states that have been reported with elevated blood levels tied to these pouches. And so we're in a situation where we're seeing kind of a ballooning debacle, if you will, where parents are now wondering, you know, what do I do if my kid had these pouches? Are all pouches affected? Are pouches safe? I mean, there's just so many questions. I've been getting a lot of questions from my friends from other parents that read my newsletter. You know, there's just a lot of anxiety around this because you hear this and it's really not good. These, these lead levels were very high. What we know so far is that FDA suspects but has not confirmed that it was the cinnamon in the packets. And one of the reasons they suspect this is because they've tested the other flavors that didn't have cinnamon and they did not test high in lead. 
And so that gives them some confidence that it's likely the cinnamon, but they haven't had a chance to test the cinnamon specifically. So we're in a little bit of a gray area right now where we don't actually know the root cause. And again, I think that's causing a lot of anxiety for parents. So can we back up even just to the screening? So, I mean, you have worked in food safety for a very long time now. Is it commonplace for local public health officials to screen for lead? And I mean, just to be able to already tie it back, not so quickly, obviously this took place over a while and for the families that are affected, it's a tragedy. But in food safety news, it seems like it's moving pretty quickly. Like they figured it out exactly where it came from. How do they make that link? Yeah, I've gotten kind of a crash course in lead, blood lead screening in the last couple of weeks. I knew something about this because I live in Washington, D.C., which I think is considered kind of a high-risk area. We have a lot of older houses that use lead paint. We still have lead pipes here. The city is doing a big push to get rid of all lead pipes by 2030. My lead pipe in my house, my 1908 house, was actually just replaced last year. And so the D.C., the District of Columbia screens, I believe, all children before the age of two twice. That's the goal. But every state and local jurisdiction is different. So states might have a different level that they consider concerning. They might only target their Medicaid population. They might only target kids in certain areas. It varies widely. And so I imagine a lot of podcast listeners will be familiar with their kids being tested for lead. And then there are also probably a lot of parents who think, I don't know if my kid has been tested, but the routine screening that's done, this is all funded through CDC. That is the only reason we know about this. The only reason we figured this out is because public health officials noticed a couple of pretty high blood levels. And what's going on here? They couldn't figure out anything in the homes. It's usually paint. It's usually old paint, flaking paint, some sort of environmental exposure in the homes, but the investigators just could not figure out any environmental source. And then that led them to start looking at food. And that's how we tied it together. So I can, again, as a dietitian, I'm thinking back to like my public health training and we used to learn about, you know, food recalls, 24-hour food recalls or food frequency questionnaires. So since you've been studying this, do the officials go into the house and they're like physically rummaging through your pantry or they're like, tell me all the foods that your six-month-old has eaten in the last X number of days slash weeks or months? Yeah, they might do both, but they for sure do like a questionnaire to try to get a sense of what they've eaten recently. And those are really hard. It's really hard for it to be accurate. I could not tell you even exactly fully what I ate yesterday or last week or what my toddler did or didn't eat last month. So it's really hard to do that. They might go through receipts. If you're part of like a loyalty program or you shop at Costco or something, there are some ways you can get access to what you've ordered. You order your groceries online. So they're basically in like sleuths, right? They're investigators trying to figure out like what else could have caused this. And I really give the state of North Carolina a lot of credit because they really went the extra mile to connect these dots. And that's the only reason we know. And once they put this out into the public and then CDC actually issued a separate alert to healthcare providers saying, hey, keep an eye out for this. If a kid has consumed these pouches, parents and caregivers should talk to their pediatrician about getting their kid screened for lead or get a blood test. All of that raised awareness. And now we know of 52 cases. I imagine that case count will grow as more families learn about it, which is a real tragedy. And not limited to North Carolina anymore, as the term outbreak implies, especially given our global economy and some of these big, big retailers, these things are widespread. 
And we also don't know what other countries this went to. So these pouches were made in Ecuador. We don't know where the cinnamon was from. It could be in other products. The good news here is that so far, FDA's extra testing of imported cinnamon has not found high levels of lead. So that's the good news. But I was really eyeballing, you know, the cinnamon I have in my kitchen thinking, is this okay? I mean, you just don't think about these things, right? And you really put a lot of trust in retailers, food buyers, food manufacturers should be having a lot of scrutiny on their suppliers, particularly when they're making baby food or food for very young children. In this case, all of the cases are under the ages of one to four. So these are toddlers and so vulnerable, right? And lead exposure can be really serious. It can reduce your IQ, um, lead to developmental issues, behavioral issues. There's a really long list of concerning consequences. And so there's a real reason to make sure kids have as little exposure to lead as possible. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I wanted to talk specifically today with you about this cinnamon link here. Of course, I was following the story as it was breaking and then reading your newsletter, Food Fix, was the first time that I saw you link this outbreak and the higher lead levels in these children to what is still not yet confirmed, but highly suspected to be the cinnamon. Can you talk a little bit about why adulteration of spices would occur or how that lead got into cinnamon, which, you know, cinnamon is not known to be a spice that preferentially takes up lead. It's such a good question. And I have found myself asking a lot of questions about spices and the spice trade and how it works. And it's a very complicated supply chain. It's a very long supply chain. Often these spices are coming from far away. They might be coming from a lot of small farms and they might be aggregated by, you know, by different processors or aggregators in like developing countries. They might have varying levels of food safety controls and not just food safety controls like, you know, keeping salmonella out, but also keeping, you know, maybe they're using leaded gasoline next to the field. I mean, there's just so many ways that environmental or other pathogen contamination can happen. In the case of cinnamon, in this situation, the folks I'm talking to are really suspecting that there might be intentional adulteration because the levels they're finding are so high. So in the pouches themselves, they're actually 200 to 500 times the proposed standard for lead that FDA has put out. And even that standard that FDA put out was about 10 parts per billion public health groups and kids groups, kids health advocates didn't feel was protective enough. Okay. So it's hundreds of times the level that public health advocates didn't feel was protective enough. So the lead levels are just so high that the cinnamon itself, if it were the source would have to be very contaminated. So the good news is this is probably a really isolated situation where something very, very, very wrong has gone like, or something very wrong has happened, right? Like maybe 
there was something ground into it to make it heavier, like economic adulteration. Because it's sold by weight. Yeah, so it could have been like they ground up highly contaminated soil into the cinnamon grounds or something like that. Like, we don't know. So this is the other thing I learned. Actually, most of us have never had real cinnamon. The cinnamon we have commonly in the U.S. is actually from a plant. I think it's called cassia. It's C-A-S-S-I-A. You should look this up. I did not realize this, but I started talking to people in the spice industry and they were like, just so you know, this isn't what we've never even had real cinnamon. Isn't isn't like traditional cinnamon. So look that up because now I'm like really curious to try quote unquote real cinnamon. But common cinnamon comes from cassia. I think I'm saying that right. And I think cassia can take up some lead, like all plants can, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they biological some products. Do more than others, like sweet potatoes and carrots and things like that. Root vegetables can take up more heavy metals like lead and cadmium, things like that. That doesn't mean you avoid those foods. Those are nutrient-dense foods, nutrient-dense foods, but it's just something to be aware of, right? Rice is also something that can uptake arsenic. So it's just something to know, right? When you're trying to feed a variety of foods, something to be aware of, like don't feed rice every day. Rice snacks can also be really high in arsenic. So I'm really mindful of like not overly relying on rice snacks, trying to not overly rely on things with brown rice syrup. It's not something to fear. It's not something to stress about, but just something to be aware of. And it does reinforce the idea of a varied diet, which we all know is beneficial. Um, The thing that I just think is so new about this story is like historically, you know, we've said, and I've always taught, Babies do not need to eat bland food, right? Your baby has been exposed to different taste profiles when you're pregnant via your amniotic fluid, when you're breastfeeding, those flavor compounds transfer via breast milk. Like your baby, when we try to avoid excessive salt, added sugar, and super spicy things that would be injurious to the baby. But in Nepal, Nepalese babies eat Nepalese food. And in Ethiopia, Ethiopian babies eat Ethiopian food. So season as you would. But if you use cinnamon, like this is kind of opening a whole new door and a new window into like, oh, we kind of just assumed, and I mean, wrongfully so, that these products were safe. We do live in a global economy. There is adulteration of the food supply. As much as, I mean, I respect the work you do, at the end of the day, we still have a very, very safe food supply compared to the other parts of the world. So I don't want parents to freak out. But since you've been investigating kind of the spices rabbit hole, essentially, you know how like in the supplement world, there's like USP, like there's these third-party verifications. Like you can't, it doesn't mean that the supplement is going to do what it says it does, but it means the supplement's probably not going to kill you. Like, is there the equivalent in the United States for spices as far as third-party verification for safety goes? Yeah, I'm not sure about spices specifically, but there's a ton of food safety certifications that frankly, retailers and these food makers should be imposing on their ingredient suppliers. I think there is, varying degrees of rigor for those standards. But frankly, this is just not something consumers should have to worry about, right? Like this is not something where you and I as parents should be looking under the hood to be like, can't read a label to find out if there's lead in your pouch. Right. This should be a non-competitive issue. There are consumer advocates who are pushing for, you know, you could mandate testing for heavy metals for at least baby food manufacturers or young kids food manufacturers. That's Um, something Congress would have to mandate. Or California. (laughs) Yeah, so California is well on its way. I think that kicks in, I see their next year or the year after. So actually that's going to be really interesting to see what effect that has. That could push a lot of manufacturers who weren't already testing to test. I should also say there are, I think a lot of reputable brands that are screening, right? There's a lot of brand risk to be had for something like this happening. 
and I think most, you know, food makers don't want to make kids sick or they don't want to harm kids. A lot of times their own kids are eating the products that they're making. I think in a situation where there's just recognition that we can do better, right? I do not fear foods. I don't panic about this, but just having awareness that heavy metals can have a negative effect on children, there's just pretty broad recognition that we could do better. The other spice I think where there's been some issues is turmeric and it's also been lead. And I think in that case, it was a coloring additive, like trying to make it more yellow. And then it was a lead like additive and it, it was bad, like the levels were high. But reputable brands should not be buying from suppliers like that. So I think if you want to just stick to brands you know or brands that are kind of common, generally they should be minding these issues and, and paying close attention to them. I think a lot of spice buyers and users are watching this case very closely. I'm getting emails about it, you know, saying, do you know where the cinnamon's from? And I don't, <laughs> but there's nervousness, right? And hopefully there will be learnings from this, right? That if you are making kids' food, particularly pouches or anything targeted at babies, and you're using spices, there should just be a level of scrutiny there that... Do you feel like, no offense, a broken record? Like, this is coming on the heels of the formula recall, which you worked on so extensively. If you are making infant milk for babies and it's the only thing that they can eat, like, we should have a little bit higher standards. Like, it's almost like the same conversation we had this time last year, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think there's the sense in the U.S., right? Because you're, you're so right that generally our food supply is, you know, among the safest in the world, right? It is not something to panic about, to be fearful of. I mean, we really do have a pretty safe food supply. But there's, I think, a lot of assumption from parents, understandably, that things are more regulated than they are, right? That there's just more testing that happens or more standards that are imposed than perhaps is true. And so when we have situations like this, it raises more conversation around, okay, well, do we need to have stricter rules? Do we need to have, you know, more oversight? Because this is the United States of America, you know, one of the richest countries on in the world. And can't we do better? I think that's kind of where it comes down to. But again, it's not something to get too panicked about. I understand though why parents are worried. Just to give you a sense, we sell applesauce pouches in my house. They don't have cinnamon in them. I think if they had cinnamon in them, I would be at least asking the company, you know, to just confirm they're not part of the situation. But it's not something that's causing me a lot of anxiety, even though I'm covering it. It's a real tragedy, though. I mean, 52 children being reported with high blood levels. That's just that's a failure. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And I wanted to ask you about the FDA response, because I know you've written extensively about the FDA. There's a lot of upheaval there right now, slash all the time. Just go on the recalls page. It's the salmonella in the cantaloupe right now. It's the listeria in the nectarines and the plums. And then the third outbreak, it's the lead in the applesauce pouches. 
you do say that you are, you're giving credit to the FDA in some regard, like, wow, they have responded really quickly. But then I'm also like, okay, in this day and age when like, seriously, Elon Musk can send people into outer space, like how come there's not a person in Ecuador that was like, yeah, it's the cinnamon. Like, why don't they already know this? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, you know, I think generally FDA has a track record of being quite slow for recalls and things like that. So, you know, if there's an outbreak, it might take them weeks or even months to pinpoint the food. And then sometimes these foods are actually recalled after they've already been eaten or their, you know, their shelf life is gone. This is particularly hard for fresh fruits and vegetables, right? Because the, the shelf life's not a long time. So they, they've gotten dinged a lot. And I think, I mean, understandably, there's been a lot of frustration about these long timelines. Like it can't take months. Like this 2023, we need to be able to trace food back to its source. We need to be able to connect these dots sooner because the whole point is trying to prevent illness. And if you get an, a recall notice and you've already fed your kid this item for weeks or months, that's just not helpful to you, right? Like you've already, you're not preventing the situation or the harm from happening. So it does raise a lot of questions about federal oversight. We had a big overhaul of food safety laws and standards about a decade ago. And I think there's a lot of questions now, especially with all of these outbreaks and recalls that you mentioned, about why we're still having these kind of the same problems happening over and over again. Like what more could be done to prevent these issues? It's not only bad for public health, but it's also really bad for like the economy. It's costly for these companies. It's costly for entire sectors. It took spinach, I mean, back in, I don't know if your listeners will remember this, but back in 2006, we had a really bad, really deadly um, spinach outbreak with E. coli. It took like the better part of a decade for spinach to recover from that in terms of consumption. So these have like really intense economic effects on top of the harm that they cause to people. So there are a lot of questions about that. FDA in this case did act remarkably quickly compared to really any other timeline that I've seen from the agency. They were notified, I believe on a Wednesday about the issue from North Carolina. FDA scientists had confirmed the science that we, you know, this from the state officials by Friday, there was a, an announcement out and, you know, them saying that the company had agreed, Wanabana had agreed to recall the products by Saturday. Three to four days is like lightning speed. I mean, I've seen lots of things that have taken months. And so consumer advocates gave them a lot of credit for acting quickly in this situation. And I think that credit is warranted based on what I know, my reporting. That said, we're now a month into this and we don't know if it was for sure the cinnamon. We don't know which cinnamon it was, where else that cinnamon may have gone. And FDA won't say whether or not they've inspected the facility. Which That's what I was going to ask you is like, what is the them not saying that it's cinnamon? Like, you know this world. What's that saying? Is that saying it's maybe not cinnamon? I think to confirm that it's the cinnamon, they need to test the cinnamon. They have not gotten access to just the cinnamon. Yeah. And I think it's as simple as that. I cannot explain to you, though, why FDA officials are not in that plant right now or haven't been for weeks or didn't go quickly. I, I don't know. I can't explain that. But again, I think it goes back to just as parents, we sort of have these assumptions about the level of sort of inspection and regulation that there is. And really, a lot of this is more driven by the private sector and retailers putting standards on their suppliers. FDA inspections you know, for infant formula happen every year, but that's the most frequently a plant's going to be inspected. Most food manufacturers are inspected every few years at most. 
Unless there's a global pandemic, in which case nobody gets inspected for a long time. It's not exactly the biggest deterrent, right? You have to have other things in place that are going to put pressure on every part of the food safety chain to make sure that everyone's doing their job. This is one of the things I think about a lot as someone who covers food safety and also feeds a toddler is just how many people, how many parts of that chain have to be responsible and have to do the right thing, use clean water, be on it, use sanitation practices, wash their hands, put a truck for wash their hands, all the things. The chain of trust there is, is a lot. I think about that quite a bit. I don't fear food. I just, I do think it's so important to, to emphasize that because they're, it's really easy to get anxiety about this stuff. Oh, most certainly. And the point of this interview is not to give parents anxiety about it. It's to discuss a current evolving story. Like I want to skip ahead to like two years from now when someone wrote the book about what happened and like you see all the steps and be like, exactly. How come the FDA hasn't said like we are in that plant right now? Obviously there's something else going on or they they would have, you know, what is it we want to know, but the story is fluid. It's evolving. And I wanted to ask you, have the retailers come out and said, 100% for sure this product is not on our shelves anymore because as I understand it, the distribution change, especially for some of the dollar stores, is much different than for some of of the other retailers. Are these guys across the board saying this stuff is out of the food supply? Yeah, it was also sold on like Amazon. I mean, it was, I think it was also on Sam's Club. It was at a couple of national retailers. The only retailer I've heard still carrying pouches as these recalled pouches as at least a week or two ago was Dollar Tree. And FDA actually took the unusual step of calling out Dollar Tree in their last update and saying, we know they're still on the shelves, which is, I don't think anything I can recall seeing from FDA. And that forced Dollar Tree to make a statement saying, I think they said they locked their point of sale system so that if you tried to buy one, it wouldn't let you. But again, like these should not be on shelves. Like they should. Especially that this far into the story. Yeah, we're a month in. There's no excuse for any retailer to have recalled product, especially something that has really high levels of lead and like really could harm a child. Like there's just no excuse for that. So hopefully they will figure that out. I think this is a case though, where parents may eventually hold retailers to account, right? Because retailers do have some level of responsibility to make sure they're not selling dangerous products. So, And that's where it kind of diverges from the formula story because Parents never felt that they had to hold the retailers of the formula, especially, I mean, we were dealing with formula shortage slash contamination, and they were going right to the manufacturer where you could. It wasn't, we weren't going to Ecuador. We were going to, where were you, Michigan? Like, yes, yeah. And so I think it's a little bit different there. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out. And for those parents who are particularly anxious, I know one thing I really appreciate about your Food Fix newsletter is that you take, I mean, the food safety world itself is very convoluted, very hard to discern. And while I'm interested in it, I certainly don't have time to read all the source documents myself. So thank you for doing that, summarizing it, putting it out there. Where should parents go if they are like, well, Helena has applesauce pouches on her shelf and she's not really worried. Should I be worried about the ones on my shelf? Where should parents go to learn whether or not they are affected by this particular cinnamon lead applesauce pouch situation? Yeah. Great question. So I think FDA.gov is still your best source in this situation, like the most up-to-date information on what exactly was recalled, which brands, where, lot codes, pictures, all of that. And you can sign up to get FDA recalls straight to your inbox. No, you can sign up, Helena, because that sounds so stressful. And you tell us when to start worrying. I was going to say, you can. So 
generally, I think it's a question of, will this help you make decisions and get things out of your kitchen or will it make you more anxious? I think that's just a good thing to think about before you do that. Because there's a lot of recalls and a lot of them are for like undeclared allergens. So like if your kid has really intense allergies, it may be worth it because- Oh, I completely agree with you from a food allergy situation. Right, that or, is so or if you have a kid with special medical needs or immune compromised and you want to know ASAP if there's like a salmonella issue or E. coli issue where they are much more susceptible, totally makes sense to get on these lists. The only reason I hesitate is there is a lot of recalls. And yeah. so, I mean, you can also get- not on the food side, but the Consumer Product Safety Bureau, whatever that entity is called, that other agency. I don't cover this agency. You can also sign up to get like toy recalls. Also stressful. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I realized this recently and I was like, oh my gosh, I would have no idea if I had a recalled toy in my house as an example. So there are ways to get these alerts. And I think, you know, if you want to have the information, it's a great tool to be able to have that. There's also some websites. There's a website called eFood Alert that does a lot of food recalls on a regular basis. You can track those. There's Food Safety News, which is actually where I started writing about food safety many years ago. So there's sources. Again, it's a balancing act. There's so much data out there. And one thing that I thought was interesting, kind of on the other side of the recall right now, the salmonella with the cantaloupe situation, it was over the Thanksgiving break, I got an email from Walmart. I do a lot of Walmart grocery delivery saying hey, just a heads up, within the last year, so giving me a time frame, November 2022 to November 2023, you purchased the brand of cantaloupe that's affected by this thing. Now, thank you, first of all, Walmart, thank you for using my data in a way that actually helps me. I know everyone has my data and it never helps us, right? Like, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know I actually bought- You're monetizing your data without you. Yeah. No, exactly, but then they're also like, hey, throw me a bone, like you might be affected, which, I mean, we can go into like, well, if I bought the cantaloupe a year ago, is that really helping me to get the email today? Because again, I could have been feeding this food to my kid over and over and over. Also, if you freeze it, like we know that there's like, you don't necessarily kill all these potentially harmful pathogens, exactly using them in smoothies or whatever the case may be. But I was actually surprised, like, okay, this day and age, everyone's tracking your data all the time. Like, thank you for an email that told me that I actually bought the cantaloupe that was potentially contaminated. It made me just pay attention. Obviously, I'm paying attention to this story, but like, I also am buying food and feeding seven small children every single day. I can't make every single decision based on like thousands of pieces of data. Like it is so overwhelming. Sometimes you just want to throw your hands up and be like, what is safe to feed my kids? You know, and the answer is not 100% wholesome, unprocessed foods, because obviously listeria in apricots and nectarines and the salmonella and the cantaloupe. And it's not processed foods because guess what? Those applesauce pouches are processed. Like the answer is a variety of foods for lots of different reasons, including food safety. But then thanks to the work that people like you are doing, it's like, we have to acknowledge that not all these foods are safe. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it is like an ignorance is bliss situation. Most of us have solid immune systems that hopefully if we saw one of these pathogens, we'd fight it and just like, or maybe we'd get a little bit sick, but we wouldn't get super sick. I mean, there's so many factors at play. People ask me all the time, they're like, how do you eat anything? Like you just know so much. And you kind of get to a point where you're like, information is good to have. You want to be an informed consumer, but also it's good to like put it in perspective. You are totally right. Fresh foods like have a lot of benefits. There's a lot of, there's a lot of research that promotes like eating more whole foods or less processed foods. Our friends in the food industry don't love to hear this, but but it's one of those things. But with fresh food, you don't have a kill step, right? So there is some level of inherent risk that comes from eating fresh fruits and vegetables. That is just the reality of the situation. And there's a lot of benefits, right? So you can't only focus on the potential risks. 
you know, I personally still eat like bagged lettuce and bagged kale, pre-washed stuff, right? Because I figure the the benefit is worth it, but that's not something I would give raw to like a baby. Yeah, or, or if you had an immunocompromised child or a child with severe food allergy, I totally It's just like good information to know. Like we've had a lot of issues with leafy greens being contaminated over the years and just knowing that that risk is there is just, you know, it's good to know. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories so if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight search for calm cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night One thing that I was thinking about the other day too was with regards to sprouts, because someone was saying like, how come bean sprouts are on your 100 first foods list? And I was like, oh dude, nobody eats bean sprouts. Like I remember working on something, going to a grocery store and asking the produce manager, like how come there's not bean sprouts? He's like, I'm not allowed to carry bean sprouts. Like as far as foods that are a potential source of foodborne pathogens, you don't wash sprouts. So if you can't wash sprouts because washing them makes them soggy and not washing them is gonna harbor the potentially harmful pathogens, we're not selling them in the store. And then I started noticing like most grocery stores don't carry a lot of the sprouted, some sprouted stuff like, like different, you know, sprouted lentils or legumes and stuff like that. But actual like straight up bean sprouts, like for your salad, my mom used to buy them all the time. You can't really buy them anymore. Have you noticed that too? I have never noticed that. Those definitely have had some issues. I mean, I think like cooked in a stir fry or something. Good point. Yeah, you're right. If you cook them in a stir fry, fine. But if you put them in a salad and you don't wash them, no. Yeah. (laughs) So Food Safety News, the site that I used to, work for and I helped launch was started by a food safety lawyer named Bill Marler and he refuses to eat sprouts. He said too many. I think I read that he refuses to eat sprouts and <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm on Bill's side with this different one. different list, right? Like he's seen the worst of the worst, right? And so I guess I don't buy a ton of sprouts, but that, I mean, it's true that sprouts have had a long history of issues. So yeah, like raw and undercooked shellfish. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we have some seafood shellfish on our 100 First Foods list, like fish and shellfish are two separate potentially allergenic food categories. There is some data to suggest early introduction helps reduce the risk of food allergy down the road. Should you be serving raw and undercooked shellfish to your baby? No. Like, obviously, because if you look at the data, there are foods that you're, you're more inclined to get sick from. Not all the time. If they're prepared properly and you know where they're sourced from, great. But if you don't, especially with the baby and they're still developing immune system, like, why take the risk? Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Like, if you're preparing raw chicken in your home, you should assume that that's contaminated and just be really careful I wouldn't let a little kid help you with that or touch the counters or the cutting boards and, you know, just stuff like that. Keeping that separate is really important. So just assume the worst is what you're saying. Well, we're, <laughs> raw chicken has can have high levels of salmonella. And so, but it's cook, you cook it, it's fine. Yeah, right? but cook it to its proper internal cooking temperature, which you cannot eyeball and you do need Five, a meat thermometer right. to do that. I know all the things. So meat thermometers are your friend. 
Well, just don't cook with your toddlers in the kitchen because it's. Yeah, like, I was gonna say, yeah, cook with yeah. toddlers when it's like a low risk situation, yeah. right? Like no raw poultry. You can cut the tofu over here, okay, <laughs> with the doll butter knife. <laughs> I wanted to ask, in just summary, for our audience looking to learn more, because obviously you are a wealth of knowledge about food safety, and these are issues that affect us all. And I always appreciate your insight, both as you know, kind of a policy nerd a food safety expert, a mom, like living in the world today, where can our audience go to learn more about your work? Yeah. So if you are interested in food policy, food safety, nutrition, that kind of stuff, you can go sign up for my newsletter. It's free every Friday. It's called Food Fix. You can Google Food Fix newsletter, or you can actually go to foodfix.co and you can sign up. It's a great weekly read about what's going on in food policy world. So one week I might cover like school nutrition standards being updated. And another week I might cover the applesauce lead pouch situation. Another week I might cover, you know, Jose Andres or a celebrity chef saying something about food. It's it's a mix of things like that. My favorite part of your newsletter is what Helene is reading. Sometimes I scroll to the bottom and I'm like, because she just summarizes like interesting, well-written pieces from the internet that I probably miss that are somewhat related to food that are always just well-researched. And I I feel like the older I get and also the shorter form that content becomes, I so much appreciate like traditional journalism and well-written articles and newsletters and full-length pieces. And you are like a conduit for that for me. And I don't come from the journalism world. So I like that you kind of like pick my reading list of what to read. So please, if you could lengthen that, like I... I bookmark all of them and I read everything that you are also reading because I'm like, well, she said it was good. Yeah. A lot of people like that section. I put together like a curated list of what I'm reading on the internet. And also sorry that I send you every single thing related to baby food. I'm like, did you know about this? Did you know about this? I know you're covering the whole lifespan. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because there's so much on the internet. Like there's so much crap to sift through. There's, But there's also a lot of really great reporting So that's what I try to do. I try to curate that information for, you know, I have a lot of parents on my list. I have a lot of policymakers, right? I have people who work at FDA and USDA and the White House and Capitol Hill, and like they might work on these issues, but then I always want it to be relevant and readable to parents. And even my mother-in-law who is visiting right now, if my mother-in-law doesn't find it interesting, like my mother-in-law doesn't find it interesting, I'm failing, right? It has to be really substantive, but also really interesting just for anyone who eats. So I try to do that. I think one thing I meant to say is if your kid had these pouches, you should talk to your pediatrician about getting their blood levels tested for lead. The other thing that I learned, which really surprised me about this situation that I meant to mention is that these levels of lead are really high, but they're not high enough to cause noticeable symptoms. And so if you're a parent who's like, oh, my kid seems fine. And they had these, I still would talk to your pediatrician because you probably wouldn't see symptoms at these levels, but there could be long-term effects. And so that's one thing that really caught my attention as a parent, because I sort of assumed like, oh, if these levels are really high, like your kid will act funny. They might have the typical signs of lead poisoning, which are like weakness, abdominal pain, different things. And that's, they're not quite high enough to cause those symptoms. So if anyone is out there affected by this, I would still talk to your kid's doctor ASAP. Well, thank you so much, Elena, for coming on. I really appreciate it. We kind of scheduled this last minute and I know the story is still evolving. I will link to all of the resources that you mentioned in the show notes page for this episode. And I have like five other episode ideas I want to interview you about because I think so much of of what we talked about today is really relevant to parents and it doesn't stop with just applesauce pouches and cinnamon. 
yeah, I'm always happy to come back. I love what you're doing and keep it up. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Helena. I'm sorry it went much longer than I anticipated. However, I thought it was a very useful conversation. She is so incredibly knowledgeable about food safety. Honestly, any opportunity or chance I have to talk to Helena, I always come up with like 20 extra questions and I'm like, wrap it up. And oh, what about this? And what about that? If you want to support Helena and her work, check out her newsletter, foodfix.co. She sends it out twice a week. I get the paid version of it. I don't know which day it comes out, but there's also a free version of it. So you get it once a week if it's free or twice a week if you do the paid version. I really admire her work. I admire her investigative journalism. I'm very interested in the topics that she's reporting on, not only as an expert in food safety, but also as a mom. I will link to everything that Helena covered today, including where you can sign up for her newsletter. That will be on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 389. I also want to say a special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, check out some of the listening opportunities from Airwave. Thank you guys for listening to this show and I will see you next time. Friends, are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.